morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Wednesday, April the 27th, and here are some of the stories we are covering for you this morning. The U.S. government is giving an additional $200 million to support humanitarian initiatives in Ethiopia, Kenya, and Somalia, where more than 20 million people are in need of food, water, and medicine. Exposing the devastating trend of climate change that disproportionately affects the world's poorest communities. Already, 1.5 million livestock have died. Crops are nearly non-existent in affected areas. And Malawi's President Razaras Chapuera has denied allegations that his administration is interfering in the anti-corruption bureau's fight against fraud and mismanagement. He says that being president does not mean that he should be everything, including police, prosecutor and judge. And Russia's invasion of Ukraine, one of the world's largest exporters of wheat, has led to bread prices soaring in importing countries like Zimbabwe. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, the U.S. government is giving an additional $200 million to support humanitarian initiatives in Ethiopia, Kenya, and Somalia, where more than 20 million people are in need of food, water, and medicine. Lack of rain in the region has led to the driest conditions in 40 years. Mohamed Yusuf reports from Nairobi. Speaking online to journalist Sarah Charles of the U.S. Agency for International Development, outlined how drought has impacted the lives of millions in the Horn of Africa. The frequency and severity of droughts in the region and the scale of humanitarian needs are increasing, exposing the devastating trend of climate change that disproportionately affects the world's poorest communities. Already, 1.5 million livestock have died. Crops are nearly non-existent in affected areas. In some areas, including Kenya and southern and southeastern Ethiopia, Conflict has broken out over scarce resources. An alarming number of children are acutely malnourished, and we're also seeing devastating reports from Somalia of young girls being forced to marry in exchange for food and water. Charles said Tuesday the U.S. government is providing another $200 million to help get food and medical supplies to millions in the region. The aid will boost U.S. government aid for drought victims to more than $360 million this year. However, that number is just a fraction of the funding needed. UN humanitarian agencies say they will need $4.4 billion to fully scale up their relief efforts in the region. According to the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, more than 6 million people in the Horn are feeling the impact of the drought. It says more than 750,000 have left their homes in search of water, food and pasture. Some 3 million people are internally displaced in Somalia alone. In even more dire news, UN aid chief Martin Griffiths says 2 million children in the Horn are at risk of starving to death. Aid agencies trying to help hungry people in northern Ethiopia have been hampered by the region's volatile security situation. Charles says the problem is especially acute in the Tigray region. We are facing in Tigray um, really almost unprecedented challenges with access, um, both obstruction um, in terms of bureaucratic obstruction, um, conflict, violence, um, difficulty reaching those who are most in need with assistance. Um, we've seen over the last two weeks 
um, small convoys of assistance. The latest one actually yesterday um, reached Mekelei for the first time in, um, in several months. A poor start to the rainy season has heightened fears the drought and its impact in the Horn will get worse. Humanitarian agencies say that even if good rains arrive, they cannot quickly reverse the suffering the drought has caused to millions. Mohammed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. Malawi's President Razaras Chakwera has denied allegations that his administration is interfering with the anti-corruption bureau's fight against fraud and mismanagement. Speaking during a televised press conference at his state house residence in the capital, Lilongwe, Monday, Chakwera said his administration is committed to following the rule of law. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. President Chakwera's remarks follow growing public perceptions that some government agencies are working to frustrate the Anti-Corruption Bureau, or ACB. Several rights groups made the accusations last week when the Office of the Attorney General and Directorate of Public Persecution instructed the police to investigate the Director of Anti-Corruption Bureau, Martha Chizuma, over her leaked conversation discussing ongoing investigations. Many believe the interrogation, which police later suspended, was the government's attempt to intimidate and frustrate Jesus' ongoing corruption investigations into people with links to the government. Among them is the probe of business person Zuneth Satam, accused of bribing several government officials for more than a decade to obtain contracts with the Malawi government. However, Chakwela told journalists Monday that he does not interfere in the operations of the Anti-Corruption Bureau or ACB. He says that being president does not mean that he should be everything, including police, prosecutor and judge. He says Malawi should have functional systems that can work without his direct involvement. He says he wants to be a president who follows the law. In January, the office of the attorney general crossed paths with the ACB when it issued an amnesty for those suspected of stealing money from the government if they return the funds within 60 days. The ACB described the development as a slap in the face in the fight against corruption. However, President Chakwera overturned the decision, saying the amnesty needed more consultation. At this week's press conference, Chakwera said he is aware of misunderstandings among the three government departments. In response, he says... He has asked the Minister of Justice to ensure that all respective agencies are in sync. He says that he wants the government agencies to communicate to avoid misunderstandings. He says he has called on the Minister of Justice to hold meetings to clear up any problems and is sure all will be rectified. Chakwela says if the negotiations fail, he will be forced to fire and replace directors of the three government agencies. However, political analyst George Piri fought Chakwela for assigning the Minister of Justice to handle the matter, saying it is an interested party. I think the issue should have gone to Malawi Law Commission, where they can now work out on the laws. Uh, uh, the Minister of Justice and uh, the Anti-Corruption Bureau 
the director of public prosecution, uh, the Malay Law Commission, he was supposed to review these laws and then strategize. In a statement last week, the Malawi Human Rights Commission said it is working to bring together the Attorney General, Director of Public Prosecution, and the Director of the Anti-Corruption Bureau to resolve the existing poor working relationships between them. In the meantime, President Jaquela has appealed to all government departments to allow the Anti-Corruption Bureau to work independently. Lamek Masina for VOA News in Blanta. Russia's invasion of Ukraine, one of the world's largest exporters of wheat, has led to bread prices soaring in importing countries like Zimbabwe. The Grain Millers Association of Zimbabwe warned of possible bread shortages in the country after Ukraine was forced to suspend shipping. Earlier as uh, November last year, we were, were unable to load uh, wheat from that region because the political tensions have, have gone high and uh, insurers had revoked their coverage. This is a supplier who have been supplying us good wheat, accounting for 65% of the wheat that we need. Suddenly, we woke up without that supply. So that's the crisis that is there. The inflation on bread, the price increase on bread is an important factor. Now we are making efforts to see how best we can get from other countries. Australia, there's issue of floods and which affected the agriculture. We are now pushing towards getting wheat from Canada and other countries. That is Tafazo Amsarara, head of the Grain Millers Association of Zimbabwe. Ukraine annually exports 40% of its wheat and corn to Africa. Analysts had earlier predicted that the war in Ukraine would lead to a shortage of food exports to the continent. But is the war in Ukraine the only factor behind the increase in the price of wheat in Zimbabwe, a country once called the breadbasket of Africa? To answer that, I reached Masimba Kuchera, a Zimbabwean economic analyst based in Harare. So I don't think the war in Ukraine is the only factor um, which is at play here. Uh, you should also remember that a lot of the bread or most of the bread that um, is sold um, is, is, is pegged in the Zimbabwean dollar price. And the Zimbabwean dollar has been losing value, um, seriously losing value over the last um, couple of months, despite what the uh, officials have been telling us. And how does this increase of, uh, in prices of bread impact the life of Zimbabweans? Who does the increase affect mostly? It's the general public because bread is one of the staples in many homes. So the increase in the price of bread is disruptive to the monthly budget of most Zimbabweans. So with the erosion in the value of what people are earning uh, in salaries and then these increases, um, it becomes a recipe for disaster. Now, is there local capacity to fill up the shortage of wheat in the country? No, the truth is that there isn't. Uh, the, there are a few schemes by government, winter wheat uh, growing and so on and so forth, but we basically don't have the capacity. Also considering that the wheat um, that is required for bread, I understand, is slightly different um, to the normal wheat that we grow. So 
in terms of bread, wheat, we don't have any uh, local capacity to fill in the gap. Does the increase in the price of bread indirectly or directly impact other sectors of the economy? Does it lead to increase, say, in the price of other goods? It does. Usually it's followed by the increase in other uh, basic commodities. We are looking here at cooking oil. We are looking here at uh, uh, milly meal, which is also one of the staples. We are looking here at sugar. Um, so usually the increase of bread also heralds an increase in other basic commodities. And what that has a, a, an effect of is that uh, people whose uh, earnings are in Zimbabwe dollars uh, continue to then be very, very uh, unable uh, to sustain a monthly uh, basket of basic commodities because then um, their, their little earnings are unable to, to sufficiently cushion them um, for the month. That was Masimba Kuchera. Zimbabwean economic analyst based in Harare. And still in Zimbabwe, the United Nations Children's Fund and Zimbabwe have released a report saying that nearly half of the country's adolescents are not in school due to poverty exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. The report says the percentage has more than doubled in the last three years. Columbus Mavunga reports from Harare. Christine Gayumba is one of many citizens feeling the pinch of rising prices in Zimbabwe. She can't afford to buy bread for her four dependents on her salary of less than $250 a month because a loaf now costs more than $2. She says she cooks a bland, thin porridge three times a day and rarely serves rice as it is now expensive too. This price increase of bread has reduced me to, to nothing, my brother. I don't think I'm still a, a, the, the mother figure, the breadwinner for, for my family because I'm failing to provide. Each and every morning they wake up crying for porridge, they wake up crying for, for, for bread. The Grain Millers Association of Zimbabwe, which imports grain, blames the Russia-Ukraine conflict for the steep climb in prices. The two countries account for 65% of Zimbabwe's wheat imports. And suddenly we woke up with the world without, its, uh, without that supply levels. Now we are making efforts to see how best we can get from other countries. Australia, there's issue of floods and they are, which affected the agriculture. We are now pushing towards getting uh, wheat from Canada and other countries. Musarana says a consignment of Zimbabwe's wheat has been stuck in the embattled Ukrainian city of Mariupol for weeks now. Zimbabwe Agricultural Society is a group responsible for promoting agricultural development in the country. It sees some opportunity in the current wheat shortages the country is facing. And I think this is an opportune time for, for our farmers to produce more, for the government and the private sector to work together hand in hand to support farmers who want to go into wheat production. And thank God we've been having some uh, late uh, uh, rainfalls, which have also helped in land preparations. That would certainly be good news for people like Kayumba, who cannot buy bread now because it's too expensive. Many of the country's farm fields are currently full of corn. Matibiri said if the shift to wheat production succeeds, Zimbabwe can export wheat to the region and get some much-needed foreign currency.
Kolamba zimavunga for viewing news Harare Zimbabwe. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. And let's go to West Africa in Mali, where Al-Qaeda militants in the country say they have captured at least one Russian mercenary from the Wagner Group, a private military company with alleged links to Russian President Vladimir Putin. Anya Risenberg reports from Bamako. Extremists linked to Al-Qaeda say in a statement they have abducted at least one Russian mercenary who they describe as a soldier of Russian Wagner forces. An Arabic version of the group's statement claimed they abducted one Russian fighter, who they called a criminal, while the French version said they had taken more than one. The statement also claims that Wagner forces took part in an operation in Mora, Mali, which it says killed hundreds of innocents. Several countries have accused Mali's military government of working with forces from the Wagner Group, a shadowy private company that has provided Russian mercenaries to several countries, including Libya, Syria, and the Central African Republic. The Malian government denies any links with the Wagner Group, saying it only works with official Russian trainers. The Mora military operation mentioned in the extremist statement was a subject of a report by Human Rights Watch. The report quoted witnesses who said white soldiers working with the Malian army killed 300 civilian men, some of them suspected Islamist fighters, during a five-day operation. On Saturday, the French army released a drone surveillance video, which they say shows mercenaries burying bodies in the sand near Gosi, Mali, where the French army withdrew from a military base last week. Similar video circulated on Twitter two days earlier and accused French forces of killing the people seen in the video. Speaking to AFP, the French military said the mercenaries staged the mass grave to tarnish the image of France. Annie Reisenberg for VOA News, Bamako, Mali. Former British Colonel Guy Deacon has arrived in Sierra Leone as part of an odyssey across Africa to raise awareness about Parkinson's disease. Its low prevalence in Africa has been attributed to the lack of incidence studies about the neurological disorder in the region. From Freetown, reporter Ophaniel Gooding has the story. The arrival in Sierra Leone of Parkinson's disease advocate, retired British Colonel Guy Dickin, will shed a new light about the illness, which has a prevalency rate of 1% in the country. Sierra Leone is the eighth African country Dickin has visited since he started his overland journey to raise awareness about the disease from the UK across Africa in November 2019. Dickin will be traveling to all African countries along the Atlantic coastline and it's expected to arrive in South Africa in December. And I've so far been through Morocco, Western Sahara, Mauritania, Senegal, Gambia, Guinea-Bissau, Guinea, and now I'm in Sierra Leone. So I've done about eight countries, I think, so far. But I've got about another ten to go, I think, before I get to South Africa. He explained that he always wanted to embark on such a journey, but never had the time. So he planned to do so when he retired from the army when he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. In his journey, Guy Dickens speaks on national radio and television and with people interested to know more about the disease. The reaction from local doctors and patients have been overwhelming. I was diagnosed 10 years ago, and I thought, I'm not going to let Parkinson's stop me doing what I've been planning for 30 years. He said that when his trip was delayed by COVID, he recognized that Parkinson's is global and decided to make his journey not just for himself, but to reach out and be the voice of the voiceless for people suffering from the neurological disorder. 
When COVID came, I went back to England and I met people from Parkinson's Africa and I realised that Parkinson's was a much bigger issue than I'd realised before. And we need to be telling the story about people in Africa who've got it as well because it's a different story here because people don't know they've got it because they don't know what to look for and they don't recognise it because it's relatively unknown. According to Guy Deakin, the goal of the outreach is to educate people about some of the unusual symptoms of the illness. They behave in a strange way. There are certain symptoms which are very obvious. You know, their hands shake, they scuffle along, they don't walk properly, they bend over, they dribble, they can't do buttons up, they can't write. All these things are very common with Parkinson's. And if you don't know what it is, it's very frightening and very worrying. And people can be ostracized and stigmatized for having this disease, which is not really their fault. Dr. Masakoi is a practicing general surgeon at the 34 military hospital in Freetown. Parkinson's disease basically in Sierra Leone is very much uncommon. Advocacy and the awareness, I will tell you categorically, is not too common. So very low. People hardly speak about it. So it's very much that uncommon in Sierra Leone. Dr. Masakoi states that there are misconceptions about Parkinson's and that proper sensitization is required to change such myths. Raising the awareness of Parkinson's disease will immensely transform the concept and perception of Parkinson's in Sierra Leone. Parkinson's disease cannot be cured, and there are lots of medication to help reduce the symptoms. However, it doesn't get better, and you cannot die from it. You do not die from Parkinson's, you die with Parkinson's of something else. The latest available data from the World Health Organization on Parkinson's ranks Sierra Leone 82 in the world with 0.04% fatalities. I am Ophaniel Goodin for VOA News in Freetown, Sierra Leone. Large amounts of minerals linked to conflict and human rights abuses in the Democratic Republic of Congo are making their way into products from Apple, Tesla and more. That's according to a new investigation from Global Witness. The supply chain due diligence system to ensure minerals are conflict-free, known as ITSCI scheme, is failing in many areas. That's what Global Witness campaigner Alex Cobb tells viewers Ricky Shryok. About 10 years ago, uh, the international community set up some rules uh, how to deal with conflict minerals and how to try to break that link between minerals and violence. An important part of that solution is a scheme which is called ISKI, which is supposed to ensure that only minerals that are not connected to conflict are exported from, from the country. So-called bagging and tagging system where minerals are put in bags, which are then sealed with a tag. These minerals, they should come from sometimes called, uh, called uh, conflict-free Mines. This system is specific for tin, tantalum, and tungsten, which are metals that are used in electronics. So you have them in your phone, in your car, or your computer. Our report shows that this system, called ITSKI, on which international companies rely, has, has massively failed. Uh, evidence suggests that ITSKI is used to launder large amounts of minerals from mines that are controlled by violent militias or where children work, minerals that have been trafficked or smuggled. One place where we've investigated one mining area, 90% of the minerals were illicitly introduced into the ITSKI scheme. Now, companies like Apple, Tesla and Motorola, for example, they rely on the system and uh, may have used conflict minerals. So that means that basically as a consumer, you cannot be sure that you don't in indirectly support violence in uh, DRC when you buy a smartphone. And what kind of real-life consequences does this have on Congolese residents? 
Well, that means basically the system in place doesn't effectively help to break this link between the conflict and, and the minerals. That means that in the end, uh, miners still suffer from violence and are forced to work for armed groups. In some cases, um, armed groups continue to make money from the minerals, which, which keeps them going. In one area where we conducted research, it, it even seems that by competing with another scheme, ITSKI may have even contributed to deadly violence. So the exact opposite to what, what it, it, it is supposed to do. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. Uh, we thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, remember to visit our website at voanews.com. You can also connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. Just search for VOA Africa. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington wishing you a great week ahead, Africa.